Welcome to The Power of a Graceful Leader with Alexis Thompson. Join us as we explore ways to access your deep inner wisdom, learn what it looks and feels like so that you can find your own path to integration, flow, and alignment, awakening the graceful leader within you. And now, here's your host, Alexis Thompson. Hello, and thanks for being back with me here on the Power of a Graceful Leadership podcast. I'm excited today to introduce you to Stephen Morris. He's a brand and culture building expert, an author, a speaker, and the CEO of Matter Consulting Incorporated. Stephen helps business leaders build unignorable brands, cultures, and businesses through his work as advisor, author, and speaker. He's worked for some of the biggest to include, but not only, Samsung, Amazon, NFL, the MLB, and over 250 other brands. Over his 27 years as an entrepreneur, he's served more than 3,000 global business leaders. His new book, which we'll be talking about, is called The Beautiful Business, an actionable manifesto to create an unignorable business with love at the core. I love that title. His previous book, The Evolved Brand, How and Why to Build a Brand with Soul and Humanize Your Marketing, was published in 2019. He reaches 25,000 plus readers through his blog and writes about branding, culture, leadership, and the intersection between work and life as a contributing writer for the Retail Observer, Wisdom Well, Business Week, Brand Week, Conscious Company Magazine, Communication Arts, How Magazine, and Marketing Profs. Quite a lineup. When he's not supporting leaders in building beautiful brands and businesses, Stephen explores his wholehearted participation with love as an artist, surfer, motorcyclist, and a beekeeper. I am very excited to bring you into this luscious conversation we had. Let's go. Hey, Steve, I am so excited to have you here with me. And, um, you know, we're doing this podcast via video, so I'm connecting to you. And I'm just going to say your beautiful art in the background. It's very lovely and a beautiful smile. So I'm really excited to just dive in with you and dig into this, this word grace and in our time of, I guess now 2022, which still feels weird to say, um, can you share with me a little bit about in your contemplations, what grace is for you and maybe how it shows up or manifests itself in your life? Yeah. yeah. Well, first Lexi, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah. I feel like we're kindred spirits. Uh, I've read parts of your book, as I've mentioned, and uh, absolutely love the intersection of, you know, the way you live life and the way that I'm living life and how you show up and, Kudos to you for that. So, Thank you know, and, and I actually think that that's a part of grace is the ability to recognize kindred people, souls, if you will, as you move through the world and, you know, reach out and connect with them. And I think, you know, the way that grace shows up for me is I think, and, and this may or may not meet your definition of it, sure. and it'd be yeah. a very interesting conversation to have, it. but, you know, I, to me, grace is about wholeness. Mm -hmm. And by wholeness, I mean the, you know, the, the gift of our inheritance as human beings is to, in my opinion, to remember the other world in this world. And so in the other world, this other world that, which if you go into that moment, so it's early morning, my time or reasonably early. And I get up, you know, pretty early, like 5.00 AM and have a morning ritual. Mm -hmm. There's this moment of the day where you're just coming out of your sleep world, which is this secret, unseen, subconscious, sometimes spiritual world. Mm -hmm. And it's before you've woken up fully and begun to plan your day, there's this space. And this that space is a space of integration, of contemplation, of embodying this other secret world into everything that we do. So be, you know, one of the practices that I have is to really, as much as possible, bring that other world into my world and live as integrated as possible. And so for me, I think experiencing that is the feeling of grace. And I think it's one of those things that it really has to ensue versus be pursued. And yeah. by that, I mean, you know, there are some things in life and in fact, some of the, the more softer, quieter things, but also uh, powerfully impotent things are things that you have to allow to happen and surrender yourself to. Mm -hmm. And grace feels like one of those things that you can invite it in, but you can't make it happen kind mm -hmm. of thing. And so 
Uh, yeah, so I'm not sure that I have a very clear definition other than an embodied sense of what grace is and how then I can bridge these two worlds. And actually, you know, like I said in the beginning of this, live into this sense of wholeness as much as I possibly can. Yeah, no, I love it. It's beautiful. And I, I really like the distinction and, and completely resonate with the, the concept and I would say reality, for lack of a better word, that it's, it's something that you allow and you create space for and you patiently, which was my struggle for many years, the patient part, await, oh right? And you just keep doing the next, the next correct or the next available action because there's oftentimes people think grace just shows up and it's an angelic thing and it, and it is. But I also have found that it, it has a precursor many times to um, aligned action that then invites more fully the graceful experience into that yeah. action. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you have to ready yourself for those kinds yeah. of things. And the reason I word, I think I used the word surrender or allow mm -hmm. is that, you know, in, in embodied spirituality, there is this process, at least for me, that creates the, the human vessel to allow for these things like grace, like empathy, like beauty, like even magic, if you will, mm -hmm. to happen in your world. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and the distinction is, you know, sometimes we live in it, well, we actually do live in this culture where, you know, the pursuance and the achievement of certain things is really what we're taught and what's sort of, you know, encouraged and even, you know, applauded in our culture. But mm -hmm. these things that you allow into yourself and you're actually preparing yourself for um, in body, mind, and spirit, then all of a sudden, when you've prepped the vessel, so to speak, mm -hmm. then you know it when you feel it. You, yes. you're, you can go more fully into the thing like grace mm -hmm. because you're more ready to accept it, to live into it, and to even recognize it, you know, because sometimes if we're moving at a super fast pace, it's really hard to recognize yeah. when grace is, is upon us. Yeah, yeah. So let's use this, this is a little bit of a segue to talk about your great work in the world, your art obviously behind you, but your most recent publication of A Beautiful Business. And mm -hmm. And you kind of brought in beauty and grace, right? Kind of, they, I think they are swim mates or teammates or yeah. they live, they live and intertwine with each other. Often I, uh, many, many times I have found grace through the portal of beauty. So I'll be mm. often in nature and I'll be admiring or in a childlike awe of something. And typically it's one of the most beautiful moments or the most beautiful things that I have been able to take in often through my eyes and I'm learning through my other senses now um, that offered the beauty was the portal to allow for this graceful awesomeness feeling that um, tags along maybe with beauty. You have anything to say about that? Yeah. So interesting. It, what you were just talking about, I, I began to form and I would love to sketch this out. It's sort of as an invitation to form this mental map of uh, how does one experience a sense of transcendence and you know what are the thresholds in which one can actually experience senses of of awe and wonder and transcendence mm -hmm. and i do think it's when we when we come into something that is this experiential felt sense of beauty not just something that we see but something yes. that we fully experience mm -hmm. with all of the known and unknown senses that we have then all of a sudden we're transported and we're transcending the current day, the current moment, you know, the, the Joseph Campbell yeah. quote of, we all need a place, a time and a place in our day where we don't owe anybody anything. We don't even know our name or profession and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. It is those periods where we experience this sense of awe and wonder through the threshold of potentially of beauty or of grace or of all kinds of other things. Yes. All of a sudden, time, time is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Our ego and identity, what, what we've achieved in life is irrelevant. Yep. But all of life then becomes relevant. We then become absorbed into the living experience of whatever it is that we're experiencing. And we're transported not just into that experience. So let's say it is a, a moment in nature or something like that. We're not only sensing that moment in nature, let's say it's a sunset or we see a wild animal out there, or, you know, we just have this sense of beautiful stillness, yeah. 
we're both there and everywhere at the same time. At least that's been my experience of it. Mm -hmm. And so we can then hold this sense of duality and an integrated duality between what, what is seen this mysterious world or mystery world, and then the embodied physicality, uh, as well as our emotions and the physical senses and things of that nature. So, mm -hmm. you know, this, this sense of wonder and awe, I think, and even beauty perhaps then is a threshold into yeah. this transported type of experience. Yeah. I have, you know, in, in the power of a graceful leader for my own personal journey and now hundreds of others that I have the privilege to support and walk along with. Um, gratitude's been a very beautiful mm -hmm. vortex to have people enter into and start to just experience. And that to me has been a very potent threshold into a gracefulness experience. And oftentimes when you, when you would look at mine or many others, maybe your own gratitude list or all the things, right? Beautiful things be it a mountain or your child or your dog or whatever, but whatever would be beautiful to you in a moment in time actually makes the list on the regular, right? Oh, totally. Um, yeah, because I'll never forget when I, you know, I spent 25 years in Texas and I realized I was going to move back to Vermont, which I never thought would happen. That was like not even in the, I didn't think it was in the stars. Clearly I was wrong. <laughs> but You never um, know. Yeah, you never yeah, know. But right. I remember that mountains were in my gratitude list when I would travel to Colorado very often or mm. other places where I could experience the mountain energy. And I remember looking at it, looking at it and, and realizing that that pattern was there and then looking around the suburb of Houston going, hmm, hmm. there's no mountains here, you yeah. know, and really yeah. having a reckoning moment of, oh my Lord, I'm leaving Houston. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was a... Yeah. Yeah, it was a, have you had moments um, of such awareness or I call it a reckoning where what you thought, you know, and then yeah. what is shows yeah. up and you have to kind of realign, readjust, refine, whatever that is. Totally. Yeah. So when I sold my, my branding and marketing agency in 2017, I had an, an, a, a kind of an epiphany of sorts mm -hmm. that came first through, and, th and this was several years before that. Uh, so 2013, I had this, um, I was kind of facing burnout. Uh, it was really kind of, um, th there were some physical things happening with me. My adrenals were shot and it, it actually showed up in a weird way with my Achilles tendons, you know, strangely enough from a mythology oh, standpoint. And I did a bunch of research on it and, and the science essentially said that, oh, if you're having, you know, Achilles tendons problems, if they're not having to do with, you know, um, an injury from some, you know, running or something like that, which I was doing at that point, Canyon running. And I was like, well, maybe it's that. So I cut off the running, but what it was is my adrenals were shot and really, I didn't even know it, but I was kind of facing burnout, you know, working in an agency, being the sole CEO of a, of a very fast growing, very successful very high paced, uh, industry and company. I was, you know, living out of an airplane and, you know, constantly flying around the country and around the world and, you know, running a team and all kinds of stuff. And I did a, a time tracking, kind of a time tracking assignment, self-assignment over a two week period. And I forget what the time of year was. I think it was spring. And I, in 30 minute increments tracked how am I spending my waking hours and everything from my morning rituals, which included back then still, you know, uh, yoga and journaling and meditation in the morning. And then, you know, some other things on top of it. And after two weeks, I, I tracked everything in, in an Excel spreadsheet in 30 minute increments. And then I measured what are the things that I feel like as Gay Hendricks would say, live in my zone of genius, at least mm -hmm. the way I would define it back then. This was before I kind of intimately knew Gay's work. And I kind of looked at it and thought, oh, I'm only spending like, depending on the day or the week between five and 10% of my time, my waking hours in, in this genius zone in, in the things that enlivened me that I felt was my calling and or my, my purpose in life. And I was like, well, this is not good. This is just not good. And what I had to do then was, you know, the, 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 reckoning was the self-reckoning, which is, okay, what then do I do with this? And so I made the decision at that point to set up the agency to sell it. And then I sold it in 2017. And then I had a period of, 
identity mm-hmm. crisis, if you will, because yeah. you know, for 20, 23 years, I ran an agency. I was a CEO and I worked with, you know, big businesses that included, you know, Amazon and Sony and LG and Samsung and Apple and, you know, all kinds of companies like that. And so who am I if yeah. I am not that? And who could I be if I wasn't that? And so, you know, that was 2017. I'm still perhaps answering that question. And, yeah. and it's one of the, one of the things that is a beautiful live with question that I get to ask and answer more or less every day. How do I show up and be the greatest version of myself? have this uh, a wholeness in my life that includes enfolding and pursuing and even talking about as we're doing in this conversation, the spiritual journey of uh, the human inheritance, which is, you know, again, like I said, you know, the really reckoning and recognizing and integrating this unseen world with the seen world mm-hmm. and honoring the mystery of that. And, and, but also still showing up and serving my customers and my clients and, you know, doing the consulting work that I do now and, and writing and speaking and all that kind of thing. So yeah. that was a big awakening for me. And, and it took me several years to unpeel the old identity and begin to allow a new one to form. Oh. And um, I think I'm still in that journey, which is kind of exciting and I'm less daunted by it now, but um, oh. I'm, I'm kind of loving it. Yeah, no, I, I completely hear it and feel it. Um, I would say I'm, I'm kind of in that space as well. So um, we're totally off the grace thing, but I have to ask you before we get out of here, uh, because one of the things that I saw, I saw in your bio, you know, that we mentioned is that you have beekeeping is one of your, the ways you choose to spend your time. So did that, did that craft and art and stewardship come in post this shift? Is this new or have you been doing this for a long time? No, it actually, now that you asked that question, I don't think I had put these together before, but I think I started beekeeping around the time of this catharsis. And um, I don't know that it was particularly intentional from an identity standpoint. Mm -hmm. It was really, I mean, the reason I got into beekeeping is because I was reading all this stuff on bees and like the importance of their plant, you know, where we are on the planet. We have enough property here that I can keep bees on it. And, you know, we live on the edge of a canyon that has chaparral and, you know, they Mm. just feed off the canyon flora and fauna. And, um, And so I really just wanted to start keeping bees, A, because I wanted to learn more about them and B, because I knew that they were so vital for our planet. And, um, So, but they've been massively instructive to me about Mm -hmm. things like patience and allowing, and, you know, they, they call it beekeeping because you're really, you're, you're, you're acting as stewards for the hive. You know, you're not actually producing the honey that I have no illusions that I have any hand in that at all, other than keeping them as healthy, healthy as I can so that they can do their own unique genius work which is to cooperate together, to work together, to know their own roles and to constantly be busy little bees to, uh, to do what they do and serve our planet. And so I think it was, I think it was an act of, of service for me. Uh, that was, that's something outside of myself. And, uh, we could do a whole conversation around what bees have taught me, but, uh, yeah, I think it was more accidental and something to learn about and maybe mm-hmm. learn through a lens of, of, you know, these little mysterical, mystical, mystical creatures, yeah. mystical and, and hysterical uh, creatures that I, I just find utterly, um, utterly amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I would say I'm coming into that fascination. So when I saw that, I literally was like, yes, like, let's talk about bees. But again, we could do that another time for sure. So um, you mentioned that your morning practice has yoga and journaling and some meditation in there. And so one of the tenets of a graceful leader, and I would assert that in your book, you call out evolved leadership. Mm -hmm. And it almost feels like all or most of the tenets of a graceful leader kind of just slide underneath that umbrella. Um, one of them being evolutionary itself. But when we talk about integration of mind, body, and soul, Hmm. can you share, you know, including your morning practice, what else that might mean or show up for it for you? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and if you want to, I think it's really probably important to touch on you know the the intersection between what I think is evolved leadership and what you how you would you know coin Perfect. or define you know a graceful leader. And I think you know having read the portions of your book where you begin to describe that, I think we're really talking about the same thing, mm-hmm. um, and uh, but we're using just slightly different language for it. And mm-hmm. so when I when I think about evolved leadership, it's really more about leaders who are seekers and mm-hmm. healers, and mm. and they're intentional about that. Uh, they're 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 conscious about what their role is for their own self evolution. Uh, mm. uh, you know, embracing the the larger parts of their humanity and working on their own self. And um, and you know, this all begins with you know my perception that. The no business will ever be more evolved or will ever out evolve where the leaders are in the organization. So if an organization wants to grow and wants to constantly evolve, then the secret sauce is that the leaders have to evolve. And mm-hmm. most of the time it is the individuals or the personal side of the leader uh, that needs to evolve because the business side, they're, they're, they've done their work there. You know, yes. they know how to do the systems and processes. Yes. Um, they tend to know how to, you know, build to end results and drive for, you know, bottom and top line effectiveness, things of that nature. But they, the soft skills that we call in the world of business are, it's just all the human stuff. And it's typically the, both the spiritual and the psychological things that I believe that be, that leaders need to work on on themselves, and so the the leadership journey as a healer is healing themselves first, mm-hmm. and I believe that that's an act of grace, understanding where your power, your potency is, where your blind spots are, where your opportunities are for growth, and recognizing them with you know this attribute of love, yeah. uh, self love first, and then mm-hmm. love for those around you. And I think when a leader then enters that particular space and understands, oh, this is a journey and, you know, the, the, the danger behind the term evolved leader is that sometimes people see that as a destination state where yeah. it's really more evolving because it's yeah. a constant evolution. It's a constant journey. And so, you know, we all know this uh, throughout our, our past, you know, we look back 10 years ago and say, wow, you know, I've really come a long way yes. 10 years before that. And, and that's not just through, you know, the, the change of our color of our hair or, you know, the way that we look or whatever, but it's more that who are we now? How are we showing up as a human being? And so, you know, the, a graceful leader or an evolving leader is, in my opinion, an individual who recognizes that life is about personal growth and about the inheritance of this beautiful path that we're all on, which is to embrace our entire wholeness or of our humanity, which mm-hmm. includes the spiritual side and psychological side and the physical mm-hmm. side. And then embodying that, living that day in and day out, modeling that for people that you're working with and inspiring through action. Yeah. Um, inspiring through action is it really, I think, pivotal for a lot of that. If you were um, meeting with a let's say an emerging leader, they're mid-career, right? They're not quite where they think they want to be, but they've got a lot behind them. And they said to you, what would be one tip or suggestion you would have for me to be in action around this integration concept of mind, body, and spirit? Is there any tip that has worked really well for you or you've seen work well for others that you could offer? The two two magic bullets that I would encourage people to do if they're not doing it already is, have a daily ritual for meditation, ideally, at least in the morning, maybe morning and night. And, and then maybe even if you haven't done meditation, get trained by somebody who knows how to do that, who can, who can soften the entry into that and make you understand, help you understand how meditation, how to properly meditate and when you bump up into, which we all do you know, the challenges of meditation, the monkey mind, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, how to, you know, how to manage through that, how, how to be graceful within that process. And then the okay. other silver bullet that I would strongly recommend is journaling, which is, you know, uh, the, the, the thing that I would point people to is go to the artist's way by Julia Cameron, mm-hmm. uh, practice your morning pages. If you want to go into that type of journaling process and yeah. begin to have a conversation with yourself, which is really all of what, in my opinion, what journaling is. Yes. And it is not, you know, the task and to-do list of the day. It is just listening to the things that you're feeling, that you're thinking, that you're wondering about. 
and put them down on the page so you can have that conversation and do that uh, on a daily basis as well. Yeah. So th those are the two things. Those are huge. And I would yeah. say those are, those are two of the things that I would, uh, I do with people I'm working with as well. And I found like one of, I would, in the beginning, I spent a lot of, I invested a lot in these beautiful leather bound books, right? Journals for people. And I was so proud to give them to an executive and say, we're going to journal. And they just looked at me like, no, we're not here. <laughs> Don't waste your money. And, yeah. and I, when I started to really ask what the resistance was, there was an overwhelmingness to mm. an empty book, yeah. right? Yeah. So then I crafted up gratitude journals to do the, hey, if you could just give it five minutes in the morning and five minutes at night thing, knowing mm. it would get more than that if they did it. And the artist way is another really beautiful tool to get yeah. to the same place. So mm -hmm. yay. So yeah. I guess what we're both finding is independently and collectively has maybe a universal truth to it or a, a worth checking outness to it. It's not just mm -hmm. two people saying it's a good idea because we had never spoken about this before. So it's yeah. very lovely to yeah. hear you say that. I, I think the hardest thing, in, especially here in Western culture, that, that most people who run businesses or, you know, are pretty well steeped in the world of business and whether they're a CEO or some other type of business leader, the hardest thing for them is to sit quietly by themselves. And so this is why meditation and journaling are so difficult, you know, yeah. to be able to like actually give yourself permission to pause long enough to quiet the mind, to slow things down to listen to the quiet whispery voices that come from these places unseen and to allow them into our consciousness and to begin to have a relationship with mm -hmm. these, you know, quieter sides to ourselves, which are there. They're always there. They are there. And I promise you that they are there and they're wondering, they're beckoning you. They're eager for your attention. <laughs> they are. And, and the minute you begin to recognize some of those quieter voices and listen into them, uh, they, all of a sudden you begin to live from this completely different space and it's a wiser space. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the life that you can plan that begins with the beginning of your day, or here we are talking at the beginning of the year, the life that you can plan is far too small for you to actually live into. And so much of what we, what, what these little quieter voices were, this deep listening that we have to have or can have is to allow these larger things to come into fruition into our world. And it begins with awareness and consciousness. Yeah. Can you think of a time? Cause you're, you're like ringing my bell around the whole idea where um, I'm totally living a life bigger than I could ever have imagined. And I'm in awe of it daily. Like, by the nanosecond often. I'm deeply grateful. I'm humbled second after second as well. But if I had, if I had not, I feel as though, I, I can't say I know it because this isn't how it played out, but I feel as though if I had kept those voices silent or I had not stopped to visit and introduce myself to the rest of myself, right? All those other iterations that, um, my world would not be steeped in the gratitude and the love and the, the bigness of it all. And when I say big, it's, it doesn't mean like there's money falling from the sky, although there could be, right? It means more like I feel deeply centered and deeply gratified in the work that I'm doing, the people I'm doing the work with, the people that I'm getting to meet, my fractal family that's coming in and out, which you're a part of. Um, is that kind of a similar experience you've had? Yeah, I had an, a, a happy accident happen to me that began with, a, an, with an unknowing, with a not knowing. Yes. And um, so back when I was leaving undergraduate school, I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do uh, mm -hmm. after, other though I knew I wanted to go to graduate school. And I was really torn between, do I pursue, I have an undergraduate degree in fine art painting, studied with a protege of Mark Rothko up in Boston, and then uh, also have degrees in psychology, philosophy, sociology. And I thought, well, you know, do I want to go to graduate school for painting or do I want to go to some other type of um, of graduate school. And I knew I wanted to pursue the arts and it was either going to be for painting, fine art or for design. Mm -hmm. And so I had been working in, in, uh, in an internship up in Marblehead, Massachusetts at, at a creative nice. agency. And I was playing with, uh, 
you know, the, the world of fine art or creativity in the world of business and how the two interacted. And, mm. you know, my, it really kind of tickled my, my curiosity around what drives us as humans. How do we, how do we move through life? And, you know, how do we then create artwork and story and narrative around those things? And so I left it up to the fates and I said, I'm going to apply to graduate schools uh, for both. And I, I sent out applications for both. And I said, well, you know, we'll see first where I'm accepted and be, mm -hmm. and secondarily, mm -hmm. I was paying my own way. So I'm like, well, I'll, I'll apply for, you know, scholarships and assistantships and mm -hmm. see what comes. And mm -hmm. so I ended up getting um, through this act of not knowing and grace not only accepted to uh, Temple University Tyler School of Art, which was one of my first choices, but they also granted me an assistantship. Nice. And essentially they were paying my way through grad school with a you know full tuition and a stipend and all that kind of thing. And I said, well, let's go do that. And it was through the hindsight of that lesson of allowing myself not to exactly know and to put it out there and say, well, what if I pursued mm. or explored and allowed curiosity and let's see what life then brings back? I have carried that lesson with me so many times and I couldn't have designed it. I couldn't have yeah. made that happen. That's uh, lovely. Had, it happened so had early. I been strategic. Yeah, it was <laughs> early, purely by accident. Yeah. Uh, a, a complete act of of grace and generosity from the universe. But, you know, luckily I was paying close enough attention to the lessons that were coming my way to say, you know what, the more I plan, mm -hmm. the smaller my world becomes. And then not that I'm not a planner because I, I get to do that and I have to do that all the time. But the more then I allow for these larger things to actually come to fruition, the more I make space for those things to happen, the more bigness in beauty and in presence that comes my way in life. And, and I get to live into that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty, um, it's a pretty amazing thing at every level uh, for me. And I guess as well for you. So let's talk about evolving because that's, you know, evolved leader is a hot topic in your book. You know, it's, it's mm -hmm. pivotal for you and anchor. And I have evolving as one of the tenants for um, in the graceful leader for me, I think it's a little more myopic, which is mm -hmm. to say that it's really specifically between soul and self, which I think we've talked about. We could also say those quieter um, voices that we could yeah. take a pause to be with. Um, so can you, do you want to share with me a little bit about how you see maybe that fits into an evolved leader in the, in your current book? Yeah. So a lot of in the book, I talk about it from the lens of my experiences working with, you know, more than 3000 business leaders, and mm -hmm. I've been blessed to do so. And, you know, the thing that I've witnessed often with them is that a lot of them have achieved a certain level of success yeah. and they begin to, well, so sort of one or two ways happen. So they've achieved a high level of success. And they've climbed the first mountain of life and they look around and they ask themselves, is this really all there is? Because either they're going to bow to the altar of, you know, chasing more things and more money and more accolades. Mm -hmm. and, and, and they may have bowed to that altar and lived that life up into a certain point. And then they hit some catharsis point of asking themselves the question, is this really all there is? Yeah. And so if they've done that without a crisis in their life which is the other path that people tend to get there, mm -hmm. then they have their own version of awakening. And then they can then, then become a seeker. And that seeker has to do, and they might not call themselves that, they may not even put spiritual terms on it, but they're asking themselves the question, in addition to, is this all there is, or this can't be all there is? Then, then they wonder or lean into curiosity of, well, if this isn't all there is, what else is there? <laughs> and, and it's at that point, they then they go into the personal world. They understand that they have to, or they get to evolve as an individual and pursue these deeper, both spiritual and psychological paths that have to do with getting to know oneself, one's motivations, one's yeah. drivers, one's genius zone in work and in life, and then live themselves into that. As Real K said, they would they would form the questions that they would live into mm -hmm. and show up into those questions every day, not yeah. seeking for strategic answers for those things, but rather living into those questions. Yeah. And then the other side of it, which I just touched on, which is, you know, some leaders have had some monumental, critical, 
event that has happened in their life. And that could be, you know, some heart disease or some physical issues. So uh, maybe they've gone through a divorce or lost a child. Maybe they've just faced COVID and they realize that all of a sudden, you know, all this stuff that I'm doing to chase these things that don't really matter that much, maybe I need to redesign my world and re reassess what I'm actually doing in my life and how I'm living it. So an involved leader really is, and, and by leader, I mean anyone within any organization or just someone who's leading their own life, yes. then they're just, then they're, they're asking broader questions that are not necessarily answered with the strategic mind alone. And they're living into how to answer those questions and allowing the response, the embodied response to what those questions might be to show up and create, you know, magic and, and beauty in their world. Yeah. I, I love that. I thought, I, I actually think you did a beautiful job painting that picture with words. I was kind of just following it through and really feeling into that. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. You mentioned COVID and I just come up with a cough. Have you seen, what's the biggest pattern you've seen with leadership during COVID? Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's the, the biggest pattern that I'm seeing right now with leadership in COVID is that the idea that business leaders are having to surrender and really live into the realization that there's a wide set of things that are outside of our control and to be adaptive, creative, and curious about, well, we don't know what's going to happen next week with, you know, whatever the latest phase of, you know, uh, of the COVID crisis and the pandemic is going to happen. And I can't even control those people who actually want to pick up and leave my company who are quitting. So, but what I can control is the environmental circumstances in which we all collectively respond and show up in collaboration and coordination with one another and unite around who are we and what are we doing together and then allow, align themselves into living into a future that they can uh, attempt to imagine or attempt to create. And so I think there's a lot of surrender that's happening, but I also think there's a lot of allowing and um, a lot more agility in both spirit and mindset about how people are responding and showing up to the things that are outside of our control in life, which, you know, if COVID has taught us nothing, it is that there's a whole bunch of stuff that we cannot control, but we can control as, um, as some would say this, 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 uh, I think it was Maslow that said, you know, no, it was Victor Frankl that said between stimulus and response, there is this space in which we get to decide how we show up and, and, and act. And it is that space that if we really tune into, you know, living our day with some sense of consciousness, awareness, and spaciousness, then we can actually pause and say, oh, I get to pick. We get to pick. We as a team get to pick how to respond to this situation. Let's put our heads and our hearts together to figure out how to best do that. I would say I've seen the same thing. I've just, I also um, have been in awe of a fair amount of leaders willing to be, I say willing, because in the beginning, it might not have felt that way to them. So let me say their response to the quicksand that feels like it's underneath their feet right now um, has been to just say they don't know and to become community with their team, their organization to come forward as a unit rather than go forward as the benevolent leader at best, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, so we're seeing a lot of those same parallels and I find it hopeful. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting. One of the things that you just reminded me of that I think leaders are doing and leadership teams are doing is, is transcending policy. And by that, I mean, you know, it seems like the historical response for a leadership team to any crisis is, okay, our new policy is going to be X, Y, and Z, right? Yep. And so the, the, the tablets come down from the mountaintop and they say, this is thou, thou shalt not, or yeah. thou shalt, and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but the, w things are happening too fast for policies to be created. It seems like, yeah. you know, every other week there's something new and, you know, people can't create policies fast enough. So they realize that 
that the world of policy isn't really necessarily in, in, in this time in this age, necessarily the best approach for how to be adaptive, how to be present, how to be um, collaborative as a team. And, you know, and, and instead they're leaning into a lot of listening. So, you know, one leader that I'm working with uh, or leadership team that I'm working with, uh, they do a constant listening set. What do you guys need now to feel psychologically safe, to feel connected to the work at hand, to be productive and listening to them on what their needs are rather than telling them how it ought to be, which I think Ah, is a beautiful beautiful response. That's great hope right there. That's amazing. Yeah. What a cool thing for you to be a part of. That's fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, It's a great great company. Okay. So there's this whole thing we've talked about um, directly and indirectly in relationship to beauty and grace. And in the graceful leader, we talk about it as a connecting. Hmm. And that means both to self, which we've talked a great deal about, but to actually lift your head up, right. And look around you at the world at large. And, you know, it might start with your partner to your family unit, to your extended family. And then a lot of us stop right there. Maybe we add some friends in there, but oftentimes I find when I was in the inquiry for myself, I was like, well, how am I connected to the moon, the stars? How am I connected to the earth? If I dig a hole here, what's the unintended and intended consequences of this hole here? You know, at first I used to feel really silly about that. And like when we built this home, we had to relocate and eliminate some trees. And and just being in the conversation about, with the trees about that was overwhelming, to be honest, um, and emotional. And it felt silly. You know, to be, um, I, I, I remember saying a couple of times, if anybody in my real world, my work world were to walk upon me right now and see me talking to the trees, Mm. there might be a whole new scenario or lack of respect they might actually have for me right now. But that is the truth of the experience that I'm starting to live into is to, um, understand that every living and some would say non or inanimate objects, but I'm going with this, the, the things that are living in our earth and on our earth as being beings worth connecting to. Right. And I remember when I saw avatar, have you seen that movie? I have. Yeah. Okay. And they plug in. Right. I remember Mm -hmm. thinking to myself like, yes, that's it. I didn't go beyond that. I didn't let my mind ask any more questions, but I, I just knew there was the, yeah, that's it thing right there. And yeah. living here in these for in this forest here in Vermont, I'm actually getting it. Like I'm yeah. learning to communicate and listen and speak and co-create with with nature. Um, tell me what you think about that and what where you think if you do that has a play in leadership at large. Yeah, yeah. These these are great questions. It's a very rich uh, <laughs> alignment of of inquiry there. So part of me. Part of me wants to ask you a question, which I think I want to do, but I, but, but part of me also wants to respond with um, something I talk about in the book and I think, and something I talk that I think is really important. So, and I'll, I'll say this with the full admittance that my, my internal wiring tends to be as a big picture thinker. Mm -hmm. And I just tend to revert to that constantly. And so these two sort of, one's a question and one's a, and awareness. And I kind of fold these things together. So the first is the question, which Mary Oliver asks, and I forget, I think it's called the summer's day poem. And at the end of it, famous line from her is, you know, she asked the question, what is it that you will do with this one wild and precious life? So if you lean into the language of that inquiry and that question, and even, you know, if, if you see it, it's an invitation. What is it that you will do? How do you, how will you consciously respond and show up to this one wild and precious life? The minute you realize this, this life is both wild and precious. Mm -hmm. Then for me, it goes into this line of inquiry that, uh, or really even awareness that says we are all inextricably connected to one another because we are all animated by the same unseen force that animates you and me, everyone listening and everyone that we know, everyone that we did know, everyone that we will know, and everyone on this planet and everyone that exists beyond this planet. And that includes, by the way, the trees and the nature and animals and all the things that we interact with that have their own sensitivity to them. And they're all, they come from the same source. And so, you know, this is the paradox of 
being human, yeah. uh, that we are on one side animated by this same unseen force that, that enlivens us all. And we are all individuals that get to choose how we will live into this one wild and precious life. And so the fusion of that is really the invitation that says, well, what is it that we plug into? Yeah. So when you when you talked about you know plugging in, I'm curious from your perspective, what do you feel that we're actually plugging into? Oh gosh, you love it when your your own podcast comes right back at you. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um unity. There there is there is only one thing, and it's unity, of which as you said, we're all individuals or we have the option to function as individuals, but we also at the same time as the, as the awareness of individual, I am finding, and I've spoken to many people that are maybe in a different place of evolution in this spiral or infinity symbol of awakening, that the thing that you become keenly aware to more and more and more into that, in, as you move through the individual journey, is that it's not individuals. Right. <laughs> and it's yeah. kind of the great joke, right? The cosmic joke is that um, you and I are the same thing. And so there's many great writers, there's, you know, Jesus and many other greats before us that got that, right? And they said it in many different ways. Um, but for me, most recently, that's showing up as unity and how I'm accessing that or attempting and practicing the access of that is through forgiveness. Mm. Um, and that's both for myself and for other, whoever other may be perceived as. Um, and it's really hard. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's been tearing at the, I have a very tattered garment in this journey. Mm. Yeah. 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 So, you know, we forget that primarily we live in a relational world, uh, you know, especially we human beings who require, you know, let's call it a dozen years or more of family nurturing in order to even become anywhere close to, you know, functioning adults that can yep. live on our own. Right. You know, so yeah. that's just, add, like, frankly, it's double that dozen and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so, okay. We need help from other people. Great. Great. And we do nothing in a vacuum on our own. So, you know, the, as the Irish say, the past isn't really the past. The past is always with you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, your, your upbringing, your programming, your nature nurture is always there with you. And here you and I are having a Zoom conversation across the country. We're connected through a, an aligned set of belief systems that we are sharing ideas around even though we've never really met face to face, you know, this yeah. is our first conversation. So we are relating and we're also relating to the wide audience that's out there that is not in just your listenership, mm -hmm. but also the people that will get to listen to those people who will be yeah. inspired by your information and your genius and the way that you're living into the world. And then those people are inspired by those people and those people yeah. and those people. And if we can help people, remember that they're living into this sense of unity and that we live in this not just relational but communal world where we're all in this together and i'm here to help you and i get to see the beauty and the genius within you and if i can lift that up then great and if you can do that for me and if i can do that for a whole bunch of other people then even better yeah. And I think this is part of what business is all about. We're here to lift one another up, mm -hmm. to inspire one another, to serve one another. And so that we can each and all live our own best version of our best life that is enriched, full of love and full of passion. And, and we get to pick how that sort of regenerates itself. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And thank you for the question. It was, um, I'll be uh, contemplating that after I'm going to pull out my journal and really dig into that. It was a, uh, I love that. I've read that, that inquiry many times. I don't know that I've had the same depth of resonance as I did when you asked me that question. So thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, My that pleasure. Was really, yeah. yeah, that's, that's great. So in being conscious of time, we, let's just, let's just pick up this one part, this last tenant, I get a lot of questions about, and I'm wondering how you're seeing it with the amazing souls you're interacting with. So there's this concept of compassionate power, right? Um, a lot of the work that I did through my book was um, underpinned by, you know, power versus force, right? Hawkins work. And so, and understanding the distinctions of that 
And then also being a female in executive leadership, and I'm not saying it doesn't happen to males. I'm just saying it's a very specific journey that a lot of women that I work with, and I'm sure that you have, get to take between the conversation of, I can be really nice and compassionate and caring and nurturing, or I can get stuff done. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but I'm not mm-hmm. really sure how to make both those things coalesce. Um, yeah. And living in, oftentimes, living in cultures that don't offer or don't appear to offer um, a place for that to be safe, however that's yeah. defined by the individual. So the idea of being compassionately power is, is the, the truth, what I'm learning has been a truth that they always co- have coexisted, right? We created dual thinking, black and whiteness to sort our world out. So they got separated somewhere in the, in the eons before us. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, like having me figuring that out and many other people very messily figuring that out for sure. And that, but bringing leaders, emerging leaders and young leaders into that conversation actually is gonna change every single thing as they learn to hold both those things together rather than this or that. So what do you think? Boy, that's that's a lot, yeah. So, you know, I, I love the word compassion that you're bringing into this conversation. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of, the, one of the ways that I think about um, compassion and power is, you know, the sort of the alignment and dissection between passion and compassion, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, there's a lot of talk about purpose, both individual and business purpose or brand purpose these days uh, and over the last couple of decades. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, purpose is really the alignment of your passion uh, pursued through everyday work that leads to a greater sense of self-actualization and self-transcendence. And this can happen for an individual and for a business. And so, so I think there's a close alignment between purpose and passion um, because they're what that which one is passionate about, one tends to be purposeful about. And then what is compassion? You know, compassion is the community or the communication, the connection of a unified passion. Mm-hmm. So as when we have compassion for a group of people around us, mm-hmm. we're actually in it together with them. So then it begs the question, what is the it within it? Mm-hmm. And so, and, and that ideally is that we're rallying around something that's greater than us because in, in the world of work and otherwise, we want to contribute to something that is larger than who we are because we get a sense, a deep sense of great fulfillment that comes with that. Mm-hmm. And so the mantra that I have in, in my work and in my business, and I repeat it throughout the beautiful business book is, and I do so because it, it's intended to be a repetitive baseline for how one can feel into how to run a beautiful business. And that, that purpose is there's nothing greater than a united group of souls ignited in a common cause with love at the core. So if we can then do that, then we can live not just with our own individual purpose, which is the alignment of what we're unifying around. We can do it together and we can do it with love at the core. And that love can be self-love, love for the group, love for our customers, love for the team, love for the environment, love for even our investors. And even if, if, if our company is you know, designed in such a way, shareholders and stakeholders and however we define those things, we can yeah. love what we do and we can, we can learn to love all the things we've loved in this life and live into them in the world of work. And I think that the minute that we begin to do that, we then have this much more even playing field of shared responsibility, regardless of age and race and gender and color of skin, and even you know the, the number of years or accolades that one has in their background and see human beings as human beings that are looking to contribute their own individual genius to the greater cause that we're defining as our purpose, yeah. and then unify around that and put love into it. Now it all sounds so simple, but I think the hardest, <laughs> yeah. the hardest thing is, is yeah. to recognize that this opportunity exists for every business and every individual, more or less on the planet. And I want to be really careful about how I say that because there are people out there that live in parts of the world or parts of the country that don't have the agency and the freedom to choose some of those things. Yep. So, you know, I do believe that there is a, um, 
there's a state where you get to be at that place, but yeah. there, the, and I think it is our responsibility for those who are at that place that have that, that ability to, to be compassionate for those people who are not yet at that place to give them a leg up and to help yeah. them go into that place where they have a sense of agency over life. And, and that includes people of color or women in business or includes under underserved populations or marginalized populations. And I think we should be including those people into the conversation as well, understanding and recognizing their humanity, recognizing that they too want to contribute to something larger than themselves. But in order to do that, yeah. they have to get out of that state of survival and, and, and go into a state where they actually can, they have the resources, the energy, the systems around them yeah. where they can be active contributors. Thank you for the sensitivity of that. Cause it is, um, how do I say this? It, it's a privilege to be in this level of a conversation with somebody and you know, I know I haven't been here my whole life. I, you probably haven't been here your whole life, right? So uh, having a sensitivity and a compassion for folks that are wherever they are is yeah. essential. I mean, yeah. you can't be in this conversation with any integrity, right? Mm -hmm. um, and not honor that. So thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And I think it, 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 there's, it is really important to remember where you came from. And that might not be even in this life. If you were born in one of those households, which I was not, where you had everything at your disposal and lots of resources and, mm -hmm. you know, a trust fund and all that kind of thing. I was not born into that world, mm -hmm. but you go back a couple generations or several generations mm -hmm. and you realize, you know, that the people that allowed you to be where you're at right now yeah. are, have made, significant sacrifices in their world. And, yeah. uh, you know, it is just now in this generation, you go back three or four generations and, you know, the idea of having purpose at work and contributing something larger than yourself, or even having a family unit that yeah. has shared responsibilities, this is, these are new. Yes. And so I think it, it, at least for me, it, it helps drastically to stay grounded in the reality of the past of where I've come from and then allow myself because of the, 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 the fortunate things that I've created in my world that other people can have that opportunity to, and I can, I can hopefully to the best of my ability, help them realize that. Yeah, for sure. Do you have to that note, do you have someone in your lineage that you pay homage to or express gratitude in your meditation mm -hmm. or your daily practice frequently? Yeah, most of my ancestors that I'm aware of, and you know, my wife and I play with ancestry all the time, and I, I kind of love it because it really shapes a bit of um, groundedness into where we came from. You know, what what kinds of sacrifices people made along the way, and um, yeah, there are several, especially my grandparents and great grandparents. I I, I was fortunate enough to know great grandparents on both sides of my wow. mom and my dad's family, and didn't know them well, but I but I knew them well enough that they existed and I knew them well enough that I can still feel into their energy today. Yeah. And I just love honoring that particular tradition. Yeah, I agree. It's funny you brought that up because um, in my practice and whenever anyone says to me, gosh, you're really resilient. You have a lot of grit, whatever that word is. I thank my grandmothers. Hmm. I mean, that's where it came from. This is, I didn't, that came from them to me. And I'm just using it in a different way at a different time. Yeah. And I'm extremely humbled and grateful to both of them for their grit, you know, and yeah. their tenacity to get where they did. Yeah. So. yeah, we all have those inheritances. And, you know, some of the, some of the things that we inherit are not, so, not necessarily things that we want to champion or continue, you know, part of part sure. of, I think yeah. part of the journey of, of individual healing is mm -hmm is the path of breaking generational trauma and yes. recognizing that for what it is without flushing everything down the proverbial toilet and oh, you know, right. throwing the baby out, the historical lineage baby out with the bathwater mm -hmm. and taking things like the grit and the, the wisdom and the hard work and the, you know, like in my family, there's the strong lineage of sense of service that comes from, you know, years in, in parts of my family into volunteer fire departments and things like nice. that. I honor that. I've never been a fireman, but I still carry that lineage. And I honor that. I respect that. And I, you know, have deep appreciation for what that means and, and what that has afforded me today. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, this has been so rich. I could just keep going. <laughs> so I find that 
these conversations with um, people on this topic are just, they can go in so many lovely, beautiful places. And I want to thank you for <clears throat> writing the book you wrote and, and everybody go grab it on Amazon. It's a fun, beautiful, gentle, and honest, I would say, you know, um, read. I think you did a beautiful job with it. Um, and if we could, if between our two books, we can help leaders create more beautiful business and have a more richer innerscape along the way, which is the reflection into the business. I think we will both live lives deeply worth living. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I treasure that. And, you know, the, the thing that I know that business leaders want, uh, regardless of business sizes, they, they want to make an impact. They, they want results out of their business, mm -hmm. but they also recognize that there's a journey and a process of, you know, doing that in a graceful way along the journey. Yeah. And I think, you know, as we all know, the journey is, is, is as important as to destination or perhaps more important. And in the world of business, destination is about results. Yeah. Um, so how we show up and live every day in our work, be it with beauty, be it with grace, or the fusion of the two, I think yeah. there's beautiful opportunities within all that. Yeah, I do too. I do too. I wish you all the best. If there's anything I can ever do for you, just shoot me an email and I'm, I'm, the answer is yes. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I appreciate here. your time yeah. and your work. Thank you, Lexi. Uh, keep up the beautiful stuff that you're doing in the world. I'm cheering you on and I deeply appreciate you holding the space for this conversation. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to The Power of a Graceful Leader. Please join your host, Alexis Thompson, for another enlightening edition of the program soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.